Hello, 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 and this is a little spooky a podcast about things that spook us just a little bit. Things like aliens, cryptids, conspiracies, or making a jack-o'-lantern out of a cucumber. My name is Everett. <laughs> My name is Colleen. <laughs> that's that's a tricky that's a tricky conundrum. It'd be a little spooky. You have to have a real long Scooper? <laughs> Scooper? <laughs> I okay. Yeah. That just threw me for a loop for some reason that I really shouldn't have. <laughs> I wanted to get something off my chest here. Yeah. Last week we talked about little side tangent conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. And one of them was about how trees can talk to each other. Yes, right. Yep. I watched a few scary movies over the past few days, mm-hmm. and I watched a movie that was released earlier this year, 2021, In the Earth. It's literally that conspiracy movie, but a horror psychedelic thriller trip. Did you like it? Yeah, I really did. Were you convinced that trees could communicate with each other? Well, that's the whole plot of the movie. Like, that's set up right away, for sure. I mean, we did get a comment after that, that the the fungal network isn't necessarily a theory and that trees can communicate with each other, but maybe not necessarily like the whole trees can think thoughts sorts of sentient Right, yeah. I think that was what I was trying to say in that episode. Maybe I didn't, but I mean, of course, like most life has a way of communing with each other in a way for like basic survival. But, like, I think the idea is that they're intelligent. And in the movie, that is definitely the case. I mean, that's pretty badass. And actually, I feel like intelligent trees show up in folklore all the time. Lord of the Rings. Yeah. yeah. That's really the only case I can think of. But there's more. There's the, <laughs> there's the Greek goddess that gets, like, turned into a tree or whatever. It's all Greek to me. Oh. <laughs> well, today, my dear co-host, what are we talking about? Today, I've decided to bring it around to ghosts. I don't generally, like, I stick to the conspiracies and the aliens, but this story is great. Boo! Exactly. The reason I love this story is because it's like true crime meets ghost story. And it's Mm. fascinating. So today, we are talking about the Greenbrier ghost. For some reason... For some reason, when you said that, that made me hungry. Uh, that's weird. I, I, I thought fryer and greens. <laughs> well, this there's nothing really hunger-inspiring about this story. Unless, like... Prove it to unless me. Unless <laughs> Spooky gives you the munchies. It's sure, I guess. We'll, we'll, I'll be the judge of this after the story. I'll update everyone at the end if I'm hungry or not. Well, let's get into the story. In 1897, which, good year for ghosts... I think. Victorian times. (laughs) (laughs) I thought you specifically meant that year. I'm like, do you know of any other cases from 1897? I'm sure there are plenty, but like, can you think of a creepier time period than Victorian times? I know volleyball was invented in 1895, so. Can you think of all the the deaths that occurred? In volleyball? When they were like, (laughs) I don't know, maybe their first ball was like made out of a rock or something. Or a ghost. I don't know. Anyways. In 1897, a young woman mysteriously died, but weeks later, she came back from the dead in the middle of the night to tell her mother the name of the man who murdered her. Zombie. And the cool part about this is that it's the only time in American history where a murder was convicted on the testimony of a ghost. That... I hope you didn't die because of it, but you can get to that. Okay, well, here's the thing. This story has everything I love about true crime. It's got a murder. It's got a mystery. It has an investigation. It has a court case. And it's got ghosts. That's like... Can can you think of any other true crime cases that have ghosts? I bet there are dozens of true crime cases with ghosts. I thought it was funny because you said that it has everything that my favorite true crime stories (laughs) have. Look, if you... Ghosts. I like true crime. And if you throw a ghost in there, does that not just make it better? No, it does. It just... Just that, like you exclusively listen to ghost involved. I would if there was more of a market for that, but we're making it right. We're about to start this. 
you're going to be left hungry for more stories like this. Right. See, I'm, I'm bringing the it's hunger full back circle. in. I'm bringing the hunger back in. We'll see. All I'll right. update you. So in 1897, we were still at the point in human history where a pretty much anything could kill you. <laughs> I mean, like tuberculosis, childbirth, Nannies. breathing too hard. Yeah, <laughs> like whatever. Advancements in health and technology were slow, which is why people had like a dozen kids because you most know, of them died. Yeah. The more you have, the more likely you'll at least get one the more you to know. stick. Right. My point is, it feels like every death in the Victorian times was mysterious. If you go back in like death records and stuff, you see causes of death like vomiting sickness. That doesn't or, seem too uncommon. But what does it mean? What is vomiting sickness? I've been sick with vomiting and I am still very much alive. Yeah, but we have antibiotics. And they had leeches and corsets. <laughs> right. That's my point. Like, it's just you could die of anything and people would be like, oh, man, another one dead. I guess we're moving on. Yep. Well, that's kind of what happened in the case of Elva Shu, who is the lady we are going to speak about. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. January 1897, a blacksmith named Erasmus, sometimes called Edward but most of the time called Trout. <laughs> and his wife, Elva Zona Heaster-Shoe, who was known to everybody by her middle name, Zona. So I'm going to call her Zona. That's a fun name. Yeah. They've been happily married for a couple of months. They lived in a log house in a rural part of West Virginia called Greenbrier County. Hence the Greenbrier ghost. Okay. On the morning of January 23rd, Zona was apparently feeling pretty sick, but Trout still had to go to work. So Trout walked over to his neighbor, Martha Jones's house, to ask if her 12-year-old son could, you know, go over and check on Zona and, you know, if there were any errands she needed run or, like, if she needed something from the store, could he go pick that up? Basically, he just wants somebody to check in on his wife. Could you imagine a 12-year-old boy doing that nowadays? <laughs> no. To glue, like, get him unglued from his tablet so he can run and get some Tylenol from the grocery I, store. There are plenty of nice young men out there. You would have done no, it. No, I know. I just think it's funny, like, how times have changed. Yes. Like, well, it'd be put, weird if, if, a random, if a random neighbor came over and was like, hey, can I borrow your kid for a bit? I would be like, um, hell no. Right. But... He essentially just wants somebody to check in on her so that she can rest for the day. So she doesn't have to do chores. She can just stay in bed and this 12-year-old kid will take care of the basics. Sure. Which is kind of sweet. Right? I guess. Then you're asking someone to, to take over for your wife. But not in a weird takeover yeah, that way really that weird. came out wrong. It's sweet. It's a nice gesture. So the boy named Anderson Jones said, sure. Or, I mean, more likely his mom was like, sure, he will. And he you was know like, you're going to go help them. Oi, Guff, no, sure. I'm going to sweep your chimneys, too. Yes, because that's what they sounded like in West Virginia. Yep. <laughs> it's Victorian times. Everyone's English. So Anderson said, hey, I have other chores I have to do. People, Other people have asked me to help them out. I'm very busy 12-year-old in high demand. Jeez. But I will come to you and check on Zona when I'm done with everything else. So he goes over to Trout and Zona's house around 1 p.m. And when he walks through the front door, he found Zona just laying at the bottom of the stairs with her eyes staring directly at him. Alive? Well, he said that it seemed like she was laughing. And she had one arm stretched out straight, laying by her side. No. (laughs) One arm stretched out straight, laying by her side. And the other arm was like crossed over her chest. Like a dab. (laughs) Yeah, kind of dabbing. He must have been in shock or confused at seeing her like this because at first he was like, maybe she's sleeping with her eyes open. (laughs) So he like walked up to her and was like, "Uh, Mrs. Shu, you good? And when she didn't answer, it dawned on him that she was definitely dead. So he booked it out of there. 
I think at first he, I mean, as a 12-year-old boy, you're not expecting to see just a corpse. Dabbing at you. Dabbing at you. Right. Right. So he runs out of the house. He goes next door. He gets his mother, and they run over to get the local doctor because this is small town West Virginia. I am assuming murder was not the first thing they were thinking. They were, no, and if she was at the bottom of the stairs. She I could mean, easily have fallen down the right. stairs. And they said she was sick. So, right. plus this is Victorian times. People die of... Every day. Every day, just day. So, they run to get the doctor. What's up, doc? The doctor's name was Dr. George Knapp. It took Dr. Knapp about an hour to get to the shoe house from when Anderson found her. Sure. And yeah. I think I couldn't find exactly what would have taken so long, but I think we're talking rural West Virginia. Anderson had to go back to his mom, explain what happened. Then the mom and him had to like find walk over to the doctor. Yeah, yeah, they didn't have phones. Exactly. Like. So it, it's been about an hour. I mean, you it, know, it really it doesn't actually seem that long in the whole scheme of things. No. Though. By the time he arrives at the shoe house, Trout had already gotten wind of it. I assume like when. When Anderson found her, he mm. ran to his mom and was like, oh, my God, Zona's dead. And then or he's word just traveled. running back to his house, screaming at everyone I, he passes, I, like, oh, dead person. That is entirely what I would do. So Trout had already heard about trouble, that his wife was potentially dead. And he was already at home by the time the doctor and Anderson and Martha oh, get there. Okay. It's a Victorian custom for female friends and family to wash and dress and prepare a body for the funeral. Mm -hmm. But apparently, within that hour, Trout had already had that covered. Like, he had her washed. He dressed her in a really long black funeral gown with a high neck. And he laid her across the bed. So it did look like she was just sleeping. It was like, it was like how you picture a horror movie wake he did it though is what you're saying he yes it yep and he himself. he had a scarf on her that apparently i'm just these are just details to make it seem more real because it is <laughs> but i want to bring you into the room he put a scarf on her apparently that people said just did not go with the dress but he <laughs> apparently it was her favorite scarf so everyone let that fashion faux pas slide mm. i just thought that was an interesting thing to point out some things don't ever change <laughs> When Dr. Knapp got there, she's all ready for burial, and Trout was on the bed holding her, like, absolutely inconsolable. He's crying. He's sitting by her head, like, rocking her. And Dr. Knapp did his very best to do an examination of the body to see what happened. But Trout was sobbing. Like, anytime the doctor tried to touch her, he was like, ah, don't. Don't touch her. <laughs> Ghost. <laughs> so Nap clearly did not get a great exam in. But again, nothing was really suspicious. Like he didn't see, he was able to get a pretty general exam. He didn't see any marks on the body. Right. There was no blood. I assume no signs of like poisoning, like vomit anywhere. But he did clean her up though. Right. Yes. But as far as the doctor could see, nothing. There was nothing, uh, no red flags that said murder. Right. Yeah. And Trout was like so inconsolable and in hysterics that Dr. Knapp was like, okay, I'm just going to give him a few minutes. I'm just, he needs his space. So he marked down Zona's death as everlasting faint. <laughs> Mystery. <laughs> that, that's, that's Willy Wonka's new candy. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that means heart attack these days, but everlasting faint sounds far more elegant. Mm suppose weirdly and i could not figure this out he ended up changing the cause of death to childbirth was she preggers no she was not known to be pregnant and she'd only been married to trout for about three months and they only knew each other for about like a month or so before they got married so if she was pregnant it was not his right and that's definitely a possibility but from everything that i read and if she was like nine months pregnant or whatever or close to or close to nobody was aware of it sure i guess i mean people had home births all the time but there would have been blood there would have been signs of childbirth again trout did clean up so that could have been a reason nothing was seen but anderson definitely would have seen blood around know what i'm saying oh i do 
I I'm not sure in that case what Dr. Knapp's thought process was, but he was uh, I have no idea. He was he, probably he, just he, like woman died must be a vagina thing. <laughs> well, he didn't like make any notations of no. noticing like a pregnant uh, belly or anything because no. that would still be there even if there was no baby. Right. No, nothing. I imagine that he was like heart attack in a 23 year old lady. Faint. Everlasting faint. That's an old man's disease. Must be a vagina thing. I want grape flavor. <laughs> so I don't know. It was marked as childbirth. The point is, it's a mystery. Because why would a 23 year old woman die of a heart attack? It happens. Very uncommon. Yes. I mean, course. she could have had like a heart defect, I guess. Anyways. Her body was taken back to her childhood home in West Virginia to be buried in a family plot. And it was decently far away from Greenbrier. Okay. So, I mean, not not like a trip that you would just like make in a day. She wanted to be buried with her family. As was Victorian custom, a wake was held before the burial. And apparently Trout was acting real strange. He had, like, propped her head up with pillows, and he covered her in a veil, and he, like, spent the whole time, like, fussing around with her dress. And he said it was because he wanted her to be comfortable, which is weird. And that's what the people who pointed it out were like, this is weird. But nobody really thought anything of it, because everybody grieves differently. And he was sad that he lost his wife, and nobody assumed she died of anything suspicious so this might have just been his weird way of like coping with a wake yeah and i wouldn't necessarily even say it's that weird i mean i newlywed couple and he's fussing over the corpse of his dead wife mm-hmm. like i don't know i don't think it's that strange no. i mean circumstances i mean you're not getting odd. any red flags at all well of course but like i'm just saying the specific act of like fussing yeah. over the corpse it's not like it's weird but you know what his wife just died Right. So, you know, they just let it slide. It wasn't, I mean, it wasn't weird enough for people to to be grossed out or whatever. I mean, it is a little gross. Well, yes, but whatever. (laughs) So the burial went on fine. Everything happens the way it was supposed to happen. And, you know, Trout went back to Greenbrier and life just went on. Or did it? Did it? No, it did not. Zona's mother, Mary Jane Heaster. Keister. She never liked trout. She was like, like. There's so much better fish than trout. Valid point. Yeah. I think she probably didn't like him because he was named trout. Yeah. My mom would have been like, you're hanging out with trout? You're going to get grout. (laughs) You mean gout? Yeah. (laughs) You're going to get grout. No, no, no. I meant grout. (laughs) (laughs) in between the tiles of your victorian home right but apparently there was literally no reason she didn't like him it was just like he's not good enough for my daughter you know i just don't like him there's something about him i don't like but she even said there's i can't point out why i don't like him nothing there's been no indications that he's bad in any way sure and the thing is the people in town were like pretty pro pro trout (laughs) (laughs) sounds weird He'd never been in any kind of trouble. He was well-respected blacksmith in town. And I'm sorry, how old was this guy? Um, he was a little older, you said? I believe her? he was like 24, 25. Okay. They so were like a 22, 23-year-old so couple. So still a young guy. Yes. Okay. But he was well-respected. There was nothing to not like about him as far as the town is concerned. And even as far as, as Mary Jane is concerned. Just that gate mouth. that. Yeah, just that weird trout face. Yeah. So my guess is it's kind of he met Zona, they got married within a month, and then he took her fishing. Away. <laughs> he took her far away from her mom, and her mom was probably like, "You stole my daughter." That sort of thing. Sure, yeah, yeah. Just like normal motherly jealousy, I guess. Mary Jane didn't like him, and after Zona died, Mary Jane was like straight up convinced that Trout had murdered her. Even though she had no evidence, the doctor had said it was clearly yeah, not suspicious. She just, she just didn't like him. Right. So on the surface, you're like, well, calm down, lady. You just didn't like him. Stop calling him a murderer. That's rude. But one night, a couple weeks after Zona's death, Mary Jane was in bed praying. 
As you do. As you do. And there was suddenly a bright light that very gradually took on a human form and filled the room with an icy chill. Angel. Eventually, the human form became Zona, who was like just standing in front of Mary Jane. Like it, Mary Jane was wide awake and it was literally Zona was just hanging out in front of her like nothing had ever happened. Boo. Now, I feel like in a woman. most of these stories, the specter kind of just like stands there and looks all sad and, you know, yeah. kind of like stares and then disappears. Right. This wasn't like that. Zona was like talking. She spoke like, no, like, hey, ma, I want to tell you what happened. Well, that's very direct of her. Right. So here's here's her story. And honestly, after the way Trout was behaving about her body and earlier, you're not going to be surprised by what she says. According to Zona's ghost, the night before her body was discovered, so the evening of January 22nd, Zona had prepared a really nice dinner for Trout to eat after like his normal long, long day's work. What do you think it was? There was fresh bread. Oh, I thought you were going to say earthworms. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what got him pissed off. There was bread, preserves, apple butter, veggies. That sounds, nice, a pretty decent that sounds good. spread. Right. Well, he must have had a real long day at the old blacksmith's shop because Trout saw that she hadn't cooked any meat and he freaked out. Zona's ghost said, Trout put a hand on either side of her head and twisted her neck. Whoa. Which then broke. And as she spoke, Zona's head turned completely around so that her head was facing her mother, but her body was facing away. Like the exorcist. Yes. As she was talking. So she finishes the conversation with her body facing one way and her head facing the other way. Just to like emphasize that her neck was broken. Cool. I mean, not cool that she died. But I mean, just badass. cool that her ghost did that. Right. So she also said this was not the first time that Trout had hit her and that he had had a bad temper the entire three months they were married. And they must have hidden the abuse well because people in town did not suspect anything. When it was only a few months, you said, too. It was only a few months. I mean, this is Victorian era, West Virginia, rural county. I imagine Zona didn't have to, like, leave her house that often. Right. They I wore mean, long, get, heavy dresses. Stuff, like, from the grocer. Yeah. And, like, what's going to happen if she tells people that her husband has been hitting her? Yeah, it's not like anyone would do anything other than maybe give advice, but like, you know, secretly. Right. I mean, I maybe, I don't know, I just feel like people were probably more, they had different ideas about what's acceptable for wife treatment. Right, yeah, that's what I was getting across. Like, they're not going to prosecute that usually. Right. So the point is, no one noticed anything out of the ordinary. Trout was well-liked. No one ever thought to suspect Trout in Zona's death, which have they never read any true crime because it is always the husband always i mean we didn't even start thinking serial killers were a thing until the 70s so. point. true anyway the ghost zona's ghost also described the neighborhood that they lived in and the view from martha jones's house this is important to note because mary jane had never been to visit zona after they got married i mean it had only been three months right and it's quite a trek I mean, at least for the time. So she hadn't had time to visit. So she'd never seen this area. Right. And even Zona's body was even brought to her. When she was done telling her story, Zona walked away into the darkness with her backwards head still staring at her mother. And this happened every night for four nights. Every night she told her mom something about the murder. And at one point she specified that her neck had been broken at the first joint. Like, she was giving really specific details. Like, my neck was broken right here. I mean, this whole ghost encounter is weird enough where it's, like, a fully intelligent mm -hmm. version of her just, like, retelling what happened. Like, that's a thing you see in movies, but yeah. not, like, you know, actual documented ghost sightings. And it's also weird that, like, how would she know the physiology or whatever the term is of her death when all she knows is that her neck was snapped. Like, is she given a report 
like in the afterlife of like this is exactly how you died you know what i mean like how would she know that her neck snapped at the first joint i mean how would she come back from the death well right i mean what what i'm saying is like if we are to accept that ghosts are real do they uh, like suddenly gain all of the knowledge surrounding their death or are they just aware of what happened to them from their perspective you know what i'm saying right i don't it's just weird it's odd it is weird but it happened. <laughs> she said that her neck was broken at the first joint. I didn't know necks had joints. Do they? I I'm imagining she means like the first vertebrae yeah. or something. So Mary Jane is convinced. Obviously, Trout killed her daughter. She's convinced that she has been talking to her daughter for the past four nights. And she is like, what is she supposed to do but go to the authorities? I mean, you got to try, right? Like if you're convinced your daughter was murdered. Yeah, yeah. So she goes to the office of Prosecutor John Preston and says, hey, my daughter was murdered and she was murdered by a man named Trout. (laughs) And John Preston was like, okay, so you're saying that you're the grieving mother of a deceased daughter whose ghost is telling you that she was killed by a man you've never liked. Right. Sure. I think Preston felt bad for her, thinking that she was just, like, being driven mad by grief. Yeah. I mean, her kid died. That's definitely something that I think most people would think. Yeah, I mean, if you were convinced that your kid was murdered, you would do anything to get your point across and, like, get them to look into it. Which she did, because she was fucking persistent. And she had details about where the neck was broken and like views from certain parts of the house and Preston was intrigued. So he was like, God, like fucking fine. I'll go talk to Dr. Knapp. Okay. Does that make you happy? Hopefully he's not sleeping. Right. Knapp. Got it. Got you. (laughs) So he does. He goes to Dr. Knapp and he says like, look, hello, I'm John Preston. First of all, how are you? How's your day? Second, you remember when this lady named Zona died? Well, her mom is like friggin' annoying. And I just need you to confirm with me that Zona wasn't murdered. You know, maybe if you tell her she died of everlasting faint, she'll believe you because you're the doctor. Trying to shift the. (laughs) Yeah, trying to move the annoying mother from one place to another. I think. Sure, positive. He was expecting Dr. Knapp to be like, yep, she died of everlasting faint. No suspicious things here. But he didn't. Dr. Knapp actually said, like, hey, come to think of it, I saw some bruises around her neck, but like Trout was wigging out, couldn't get near her at all, barely got near her body for an exam. So, you know, I kind of just assumed everlasting faint except maybe childbirth too or childbirth which i still that makes no sense to me so this changes things preston is like well okay now we're getting somewhere like you didn't do an exam you just like accepted that this 22 year old lady was dead yeah you think he'd like go back to investigate the body after the dude was somehow ushered out Mm -hmm. right but Again, small town, you know, in true crime stories where everyone's like, he was the nicest guy who ever lived. And bribes them with new smithed New horseshoes. (laughs) Well, Preston decides this is obviously it's suspicious now. So he asked around and people told him how weird Trout was acting at the funeral about the ugly scarf. And the pillows and how he hovered around her head the whole time. And now that they Mm -hmm. think about it, that's kind of weird. But they had chalked it up to grief. But, like, what if? What if Trout did it? What if Trout wasn't even human? He's a fish. (laughs) (laughs) So all of this information got to Preston. He eventually made the rare decision to exhume her body for an autopsy. And how much time has passed? Not much. I'm actually not entirely sure, but oh, it's but it's not like a fully decomposed body. No, no, no. Point. It's been like maybe a month or two, and it's winter, 
So oh, okay. He decides to to order an autopsy. Again, this was not common for the time period because if it was, it, the coroner would be like over his head in like mysterious corpses for everlasting faint and poop disease or whatever. But they exhumed her body and Dr. Knapp did an autopsy that lasted for three days. Trout made it known that he was extremely unhappy about this. And he sat outside the doctor's office on a box and just whittled the whole time for three days. He nervously whittled. Do you, does that just mean like you're scraping a stick with a knife? Or are you actually like carving something? And if it was carving, wouldn't you just call it carving? Whittle me that. I don't know. <laughs> Can I point out, though, how unethical it is to have the doctor who declared her cause of death to be everlasting faint to be the one to do the autopsy? True, but he also never even got to examine the body. Right, but what if but he didn't... There, there wasn't probably any other doctors in the area, right? True. But, like, what if he didn't want to be proven wrong? Like, he didn't want to look bad, so he was like, nope, definitely the faint. Well, but but he had already admit, though, that he didn't even get to do an examination because of the husband. Right. So, like... Is just his examination. Right, yes. And he was clearly one of the good guys because it had only been about a month since her funeral and winter, as I said. So she was still in pretty good condition. He was able to see the bruises on her neck, finger marks on her neck, and her neck was dislocated at the first vertebrae. And there were other indicators of having been strangled slash neck broken, just like Zona's ghost said except for the joint thing so well first vertebrae right she's an likely uneducated victorian woman in west virginia that's what i was getting at when i was saying like how does she know you know right but again as i said we're talking about a ghost (laughs) so the mysteries of the afterlife are mysterious mysterious (laughs) So they did this autopsy. They find out that her neck was actually broken. Things are looking fucky. But there's no real evidence that Trout is the one who killed her. I I guess anyone could have just walked in there and killed her because Trout was gone. Trout was working at the blacksmith shop, apparently. And nobody knows exactly when she died. Right. I mean, Trout was acting weird. But again, that's not evidence. Maybe he's just got like a thing about necks. Scarves. (laughs) So there's nothing beyond a reasonable doubt. Like, what are they supposed to do about it? And does anybody actually believe Mary Jane's ghost story? Because ghosts. I mean, I know people were more apt to believe that in Victorian times, but like not enough to bring it to court. Right. And also she was found at the bottom of the stairs. And if her neck was broken, that could have easily happened in a fall down the stairs. Right. Well, and I mean, we don't. How do how do they know Mary Jane didn't kill her? This is like some weird elaborate frame. And, and Mary Mary Jane's the mom, right? Yep. But they know that it wasn't her because she was a long ways away. But right. Th- there's just not enough proof that the husband did it. Right. I mean, as far as they know, she was away. The point is, the defense has a lot of things they could bring up to be like, look, yes, circumstantial evidence looks bad, but there's literally no way you can prove that my client did it because right. DNA was not a thing. It, no it's witnesses. 1897. There were no witnesses. She right. could have fallen down the stairs. There's just too many things it could have been. I mean, we all know, obviously, it was him. But Well, so, do we or do we or do we? No. I mean, if I was in the jury, I would have to be like... Ghosts. You need, ghosts. You need more proof. Obviously, he did it. But can you convict someone on that kind of circumstantial evidence? Make the ghost float trial. Well, okay. Preston obviously believed Mary Jane enough to take it to trial, even with just circumstantial evidence. And I think the defense was like, all right, well, we're going to win this one. No big deal. Right. Before the trial, Preston decided to look into Trout's background. Who was he? What's his sitch? I I would hope he did, yes. Well, I mean, he had no reason to before, but now that he's decided to bring it to trial, he... No, no, that's what I'm saying. Like, if there's going to be a trial, I hope he looks at his background. Yes. So he found out that Trout had actually been married before Mm. in a neighboring county. And his wife was granted a divorce after she proved that he had, like, viciously beaten her. Well, that's uncommon. So that's strike one. Yeah. Not only that, but he had a second wife after that who mysteriously died after eight months of marriage. And we still don't know how old he is. He's like mid-20s. That's 
So on his third marriage. Yeah. That's a lot. Yeah, but apparently they he wasn't married for like even a year at a time. Right. It seems like they're getting married after like one month of meeting each other. True. So it's, yeah. it's not completely out of the question. What's crazy to me is that he severely beat one woman and more than likely killed another one. Mm-hmm. But he went one county over and was like, yeah, this is good. This is good enough. Yeah. I'm going to go by the name uh, Trout. And no one will know. Cops don't talk to each other. Not until serial killers were an accepted thing. Really. I know. It's just, it's weird. It'd be like if I murdered someone and then I decided to move to Superior, Wisconsin and change my name to Baleen. Nobody would know. I mean, that name is suspicious enough. <laughs> but if I changed my name to Kitty Cat. <laughs> not, <laughs> not that much better. But yes, exactly. I get Trout. your point. That's also very true, yes. So he, wait, wait, I imagine, though, he's, like, trying to think of a name, and he's, like, he just went fishing. He's, like, oh, tr- trout. Uh, lamp. <laughs> <laughs> Desk. Trout. Anyways, Trout was arrested. He's brought to trial. And the defense was, like, we got this in the bag. All you have to do is speak in your own defense and say, I didn't do it. You know, you don't have any evidence that I did it. I didn't do it. But when he got to the stand, he just rambled about how everyone's out to get him and Mary Jane never liked him and was spiteful and he denied all of the evidence and it just like he looked bad. It was not a good look for him. Yeah. Which is why they say the defendant should never testify. Yeah. Like there's very, very, very few times when a defendant should testify. And this was clearly he should have been given that advice. Listeners, if you ever stand trial, take attorney at law Colleen's advice. Yes. Preston tried to distance himself from the ghost angle when he was giving his testimony. Makes sense. Right. It's, he said Mary Jane had been having dreams. Like, he tried to gloss over it and just focus on the other evidence. Yeah, but the, the actual evidence. Right, but there's no completely ignoring it. I mean, they the court's going to find out how Mary Jane came to, to talk to Preston. So he was kind of like, well, she was having dreams and, you know, of course she's a worried mother. So I looked into it. The defense, which this is a good angle, they wanted to completely discredit the whole ghost thing and make Mary Jane look like a crazy idiot. Because if that the ghost story falls apart, then they have no basis for doing the investigation in the first place. Yeah. So even though the investigation should have happened from the beginning. Yes. But yes. Right. They called her to the stand and they tried their very best to just pick apart her story. But weirdly, this backfired. Because not only did she, like, completely 100% stick to every detail of her story, but she knew things that nobody else had known before the investigation had started. Like, she knew the exact injuries, where the injuries were placed, what Zona was wearing before Anderson or the doctor got to her, where she was killed, what she, like, she was killed over a lack of meat. So she had all of these details that, like, how would anybody know that without having talked to Zona? And she was apparently so convincing that the newspaper was like, Mary Jane, legit. And they did a... Go surreal. Go surreal. The newspaper published a full transcript. So I have a short sneak peek of like one of the questioning lines. Cool. Attorney. Mrs. Heaster, are you positively sure that these visits were not just four different dreams? Mary Jane. Yes, sir. It was not a dream. I don't dream when I'm wide awake, and I know I saw her right in front of me. Sassy. Attorney. Aren't you incredibly superstitious, though? Mary Jane. No, sir, I am not. I was never that way before, and I am not now. (laughs) Okay. Attorney. Do you believe in the scriptures? Not sure where that came from. Mary Jane. Yes, sir. I have no reason not to believe it, which I mean, that's a weird answer because there are several reasons not to believe it. I have no reason not to believe in aliens. There's plenty of reasons not to. But Mary Jane, we're, she, she's a believer. Attorney. Now, I would like if I could to get you to say that these were dreams and not ghost appearances of your daughter. 
wait, wait this is the the prosecutor the, the attorney yeah the the defendant or yeah, the defense, the defense attorney, attorney. So like he's trying to state his actual yes. goal he says i would like you to record. say if i could that these were not ghost appearances they were just dreams even though she had just said two statements earlier that was incorrect yes. and uh, mary jane says i'm not going to say that because i'm not going to lie Mm-hmm. So that was basically the gist of the whole trial. He was like, hey, I want you to say this. And she was like, I'm not going to say that. And he was like, yeah, are you sure, though? You don't <laughs> want to say it? Because it would be real convenient if you said it. And she was like, I ain't going to say that. It's so weird. I mean, obviously, there's like things that are definitely of the time, like putting an emphasis on religion and stuff. Yeah. But like even it seemed more emotionally driven because there is lack of evidence in these types of cases. So it is emotionally like charged versus today where it's just you listen to a trial yes like boring evidence going through 56 different exhibits and well and i can imagine this is an educated man he's talking to a woman from small town west virginia who's telling a story about ghosts and he's probably convinced going into it he's gonna just tear this lady to shreds right and she's like a lady she's supposed to be meek and agreeable but i imagine he's just getting like crazy frustrated and he was like you're kind of superstitious though right she was like nah and he was like yeah but you believe in god so you wouldn't like you wouldn't like lie to me though would you and she was like i, I wouldn't lie and he was like so are you lying then <laughs> she's like nope he's like yeah but could you like could you like say that you're lying though <laughs> like he's just it's like he's running out of things to ask and he's so frustrated he just can't, like he's he's crumbling it took one hour of deliberation to find trout guilty oh really and he died in prison of some illness in 1900 they think probably measles or pneumonia oh so not that long after right he yeah it was not long after at all he didn't uh come back from the dead though would have been that cool know, if he did for full circle yeah, right right so what do you think he got convicted and spent the rest of his life in jail due to the testimony of a supposed ghost. What do you That th- is true. I mean, reading it in hindsight, it is very obvious to me that Trout killed his wife. But Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that. Yes. And if this murder had happened today, it would be solved in 20 minutes. Fingerprints, yeah. DNA. Cops wouldn't allow the husband to not allow a body to be investigated. Right. And it wouldn't be an hour before the cops got there after, well, you know. Even if it was an hour, like, it wouldn't have been that way. But you know what I'm thinking about this ghost story? Hmm. If this is true, ghosts aren't tied to the place they die in. I never thought that they were. Or maybe there's, like, a difference between a ghost and, like, someone's spirit. Ghost is like a... Like a, me- a like memory, an echo. yeah, a memory on tape type thing yeah. versus a spirit is like the consciousness, new, the conscious soul, if you want to use that word, that's only around shortly after death, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know either. Now, if you're not going to believe the ghost angle, it's easy to believe that Mary Jane just hated him just hated Trout. Reasonable suspicions. Right. Made up this story to appeal to the superstitious church going small town old timey people maybe maybe she was put on the spot and needed to come up with an excuse for additional investigation it's just a very weird coincidence that she guessed the method of right murder right how do you explain that and how do you explain that she knew what zona was wearing true where she was like just details so that's suspicious could, could Either be a go- way, though, what's extra spooky is that the jury believed her. True. Not well, only the jury, I mean. but the entire town. Well, that's what I mean, though. It's like much more emotionally driven in this mm-hmm. time because there's not a lot of evidence yeah. to look at. You basically have to go with your gut. It's not you can't be as objective, especially if the jury, I assume, was from the same small town in West Virginia. Maybe maybe it wasn't a ghost. Maybe it wasn't not a ghost, though. <laughs> I mean, what, I, what I mean is maybe she has like some sort of like psychic type power. Maybe she's a medium. I thought you said she was a small. <laughs> she says. No, I, I meant more like a remote viewing type thing. So maybe True. that's how she was able to see like the area that the murder happened in and how it happened. Yeah. I bet it's easier to explain that during the time as a ghost. 
Right. Rather it's than hard to I'm put a that witch. in words, especially if you are uneducated and you don't really know certain right. types of terminology. Right. And I actually don't know if she was uneducated true, or not. Yeah. I don't know anything about her background. I guess I just. Um, I feel like I've said true a million times this episode. I apologize. Could have. False. Anyways, there you have it. A ghost convicted her own murderer. And if the ghost hadn't shown up, Trout would have gotten away with it forever, more, most likely. Yeah. He even boasted in prison that his goal before he died was to have seven wives. <laughs> so at least four other women were spared death or a real shitty divorce situation by a ghost. So thank you, Zona, for rescuing those four poor ladies. Update. This story made me hungry in the beginning, but I'm not really hungry right now. Is it because of the corpse part? Yeah, ghosts aren't necessarily, like, hunger-inducing That's either. what I was saying at the beginning. But you said green fryer. Green briar. You gonna be eating shrubbery now? I'd be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that's a story. It's a great story. No, I it enjoyed is cool. it thoroughly. It's, it's just very interesting how the courts worked back then. Like, yes. You were just and it's able horrifying to... to think that if you were to murder me and my mom didn't like you, which she does like you, by the way, just to confirm <laughs> that. But if my mom didn't like you, you if, maybe you didn't murder me and I died of everlasting fate. Right. But if my mom was persistent enough and got enough people to her side... Saying that she saw my ghost, that you could be put in jail until you die. Sure. A lot of false accusations and false or incorrect convictions have happened over the course of the centuries. Yeah. That is a scary thought. You know what else is scary? Hmm. This story comes from our Discord. We haven't actually plugged our Discord in a very long time. If you would like to get in on the conversation with us, as well as additional podcast hosts from the Nerd Sloth Network, let us know. I believe the uh, invite link is in our, at least our Twitter description. I believe it's also in our Instagram description. Yeah. So come and come we'll, over. I'll, I'll try to post it again. Sure. Well, th this story comes from one of our uh, Discord buddies by the name of Semantics. Semantics. Mm -hmm. Clever. <laughs> I don't even want to say the title. It's going yeah. to ruin it. Let's just get into it. And I didn't read it. I did see the title, though, which I will admit, yes, does slightly ruin it. Yes. So, doctors recently reported the case of a 56-year-old patient who experienced chest pain and breathing difficulties. In this particular case, it was a direct consequence of a procedure that the patient had undergone a week earlier. Doctors had treated what is known as a vertebral compression fracture, a painful condition in which part of a vertebra collapses into itself, most commonly as a result of osteoporosis. Mm. They had performed a kyphoplasty, a procedure in which a special type of cement is injected into the vertebra to restore its normal height and keep it from collapsing further. Only in this case, the cement did not stay in the bone. They just took like the hollow bone and they were like, we'll just load that baby up with some cement. Pretty. I mean, I, mean, I it's assume not, it's, it's like, like medical grade cement. Yes, it's not like just cement <laughs> that's like on the sidewalk. It's like similar in right. idea. So they basically just filled it. Yeah, filled, yeah. Her, filled her up. So, kyphoplasty is a relatively safe procedure with only about 2% of cases involving complications. However, one of the most known risks is the cement leaking from the bone and into blood vessels, creating a life-threatening embolism, which is exactly what happened to this 56-year-old man. The cement went into his veins where it solidified into a 4-inch long thin spike that ended up in his heart, piercing its wall and puncturing his right lung. Oh my god! After experiencing chest pain and breathing difficulties for two days, this man went to the emergency room where x-ray and CT exams showed a foreign body inside his heart. He was prepped for emergency surgery to remove the piece of cement that had pierced his heart and lung, so the doctors proceeded to stitch the hole left in the heart after extraction and the man experienced no complications from the procedure and made a full recovery a month later. What? Okay, so I realized that this spike piercing his heart was not like a stab, where it was just like one second the spike is out and the other second the spike is in. Like, it's slowly moving dig, in there. Yeah, I had to dig in because it was like going through, pumping through his veins. But it took two days. Days for him to be like, fine, I guess I'll go. It, it probably was, you know, at first, just 
depending on which vein it was in. Like, I don't know what area of the body it was, but let's just say it was in the arm or something. Well, it would have been. Well, yeah, I guess it would have been around the chest. Around You're the right. Chest, yeah. So it, it probably just felt like, you know, minor chest pains. And then eventually once it gets farther enough into the heart, and if it is slow, it probably just feels like a consistent chest pain. It's probably when it got into his lung. That's when it was really painful. You don't think you'd be able to, to feel a four inch long piece of cement in your chest? Probably very thin because it was, you know, size of the of a vein. Yeah. But still, doesn't it freak you out to know that there could be a weird foreign body inside of you and you wouldn't even have any people, clue? People have tapeworms all the time and have no idea. Yeah, that is also very weird. I, I, uh, how do you not know? You don't have nerves in there. As soon as you have trouble breathing, that's when he went in. Ugh, <laughs> I don't like that story. Um, thank you for sending us that story. Oh, that was nuts. Um, yes, I love it when people send stories over the Discord. I love to talk to people on the Discord. But if Discord's not your thing and you would still like to send us something, you can also send us a DM on Twitter. Facebook or Instagram, all are at NerdslothHQ. Or you can shoot us an email over the interwebs. Zap over an email. Zap on over an email to podcast at nerdsloth.com and put a little spooky in the subject line so we know it's for us. Yeah. And we'll be in your ears next week with something different from yours truly. And if also, I just want to add, if you have a topic request that you would like us to talk about, you can also send that over too. Yes. Just let us love know. Love those. Well, that's all this week. All right. Bye. We love Bye. you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Presented by NerdSloth, a place for lazy nerds. If you like what you heard, consider donating at patreon.com slash nerdsloth so we can continue bringing you quality shows. Be sure to also leave us a review and share your favorite episodes and clips on social media. If you're looking for more content, visit us at nerdsloth.com.